Chapter Eleven of Uller Uprising. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. Uller Uprising by H. Beam Piper. Chapter Eleven of Princedoms Which Have Been Won by Conquest. Holstering his pistol, he raced for the telecast station to receive a call from a Colonel Khalid ibn Talal, a Zanzibar Arab, aboard the approaching ship. I've one of Jonkfank's regiments, the Geel Feeders, armed with Terran 9mm rifles and a few bazookas. I have a company of our Zerks with their mounts, and a battalion of the South NUNI. I also have four 90mm guns, Terran manned, he reported. What's the situation, General, and where do you want me to land? Von Schlichten described the situation succinctly in an ancient and unprintable military cliché. Try landing south of the reservation, a little west of the ruins of the labor camp, he advised. The bulk of Firkhead's army is in that section, and I want them run out as soon as possible. We'll give you all the contragravity and fire support we can. The Northern Star let down slowly, firing her guns and dropping bombs. As she descended, rifle fire spurted from all her lower deck portholes. There was cheering human and Ulleran from inside the battered defense perimeter, combat cars, air jeeps, and improvised bombers lifted out to strafe the silkens on the ground, and the four air tanks moved out to take position and open fire with their ninety millimeters, helping flush King Firkhead's regulars and auxiliaries out of the gullies and ruins, and drive them south along the mountain, away from where the ship would land, and also away from the city of Skilk. The northern stars set down quickly, and troops and artillery began to be unloaded, joining in the fighting. It was five hundred miles to Krink. Three hours after lifting out, the northern star was back again, with two more of King Jonkbank's infantry regiments, and by 1300, when the fourth load arrived from Krink, the fighting was entirely on the eastern bank of the Dryhork River. This last contingent of reinforcements was landed in the eastern suburbs of Skilk, and began fighting their way into the city from the rear. It was evident, however, that the pacification of Skilk would not be accomplished as rapidly as von Schlichten wished. Street fighting against a determined enemy is notoriously slow work, and he decided to risk the Northern Star in an attack against the palace itself, and over the objections of Paula Quinton, Jules Cavini, and Barney Mordkovitz, to lead the attack in person. Inside the city he found that the Zerk cavalry from Crank had thrust up one of the broader streets to within a thousand yards of the palace, and, supported by infantry, contragravity, and a couple of air tanks, were pounding and hacking at a mass of skilkins whose uniform lack of costume prevented distinguishing between soldiery and townsfolk. Very few of these, he observed, seemed to be using firearms. With his glasses he could see them shooting with long northern air rifles and a few Takad sea crossbows. Either weapon would shoot clear through a Terran or halfway through an Ulleran at fifty yards, but at over two hundred they were almost harmless. There were a few fires still burning from the bombardment of the night before. Ulleran, and particularly North Ulleran cities, did not burn well, and the blaze which had consumed the bulk of Firkhead's stock of thermoconcentrate fuel had long ago burned out, leaving an area of six or eight blocks blackened and lifeless. The ship let down, while the six combat cars which had accompanied her buzzed the palace roof, strafing it to keep it clear, and the Kragans aboard fired with their rifles. She came to rest on seven-eighths weight reduction, and even before the gangplanks were run out, the Kragans were dropping to the flat roof, running to stairhead penthouses, and tossing grenades into them. 
the taking of the palace was a gruesome business knowing exactly how much mercy they would have shown had they been storming the residency for cage soldiers and courtiers fought desperately and had to be exterminated floor by floor room by room hallway by hallway there was some attempted escape from the ground floor as von schlichten and his kragans fought their way down from above but the northern star and her escort of combat cars and air jeeps bombed and machine-gunned and rocketed the fugitives from above and the loyal zerk cavalry bursting through the mob came up shooting and lancing by this time an air-car fitted with a sound amplifier was circling overhead while a loyal native officer of the sixth n u n i shouted offers of quarter and orders to the troops to spare any who surrendered driving down from above von schlichten and his kragen slithered over floors increasingly greasy with yellow uller and blood he had picked up a broadsword at the foot of the first stairway down a little later he tossed it aside in favor of another better balanced and with a better guard there was a furious battle at the doorway of the throne-room finally climbing over the bodies of their own dead and the enemies they were inside here there was no question of quarter whatever at least as long as Firkhead lived north ulleran nobles did not surrender under the eyes of their king and north ulleran kings did not surrender their thrones alive there is also a tradition of which von schlichten was mindful that a king must only be killed by his conqueror in personal combat with steel with a wedge of kragen bayonets around him and the picked-up broadsword in his hand he fought his way to the throne where Firkhead waited a sword in one of his upper hands his spear of state in the other and a dagger in each lower hand with his left hand von schlichten detached the bayonet from the rifle of one of his followers and went forward trying not to think of the absurdity of a man of the sixth century a e the representative of a civilized chartered company dueling to the death with swords with a barbarian king for a throne he had promised to another barbarian or of what could happen on, on uller if he allowed this four-armed monstrosity to kill him it was not as bad as it looked however the ornate spear of state in spite of its long cruel-looking blade was not an especially good combat weapon at least for one hand and Firkhead seemed confused by the very abundance of his armament after a few slashes and jabs von schlichten knocked the unyieldy thing from his opponent's hand this raised a fearful ululation from the skilkin nobility who had stopped fighting to watch the duel evidently it was the very worst sort of a bad omen Firkhead, seemingly relieved to be disencumbered of the thing caught his sword in both hands and aimed a roundhouse swing at von schlichten's head von schlichten dodged crippled one of Firkhead's lower hands with a quick slash and lunged at the royal belly Firkhead used his remaining dagger to parry backed a step closer to his throne and took another swing with the sword which von schlichten parried on the bayonet in his left hand then backing he slashed at the inside of Firkhead's leg with a thousand-year-old coup de jarnac Firkhead, unable to support the weight of his dense-tissued body on one leg, stumbled. Von Schlichten ran him neatly through the breast with a sword, and through the throat with a bayonet. There was a silence in the throne-room for an instant, and then, with a horrible collective shriek, the Skilkins threw down their weapons. One of Von Schlichten's Kragans slung his rifle and picked up the spear of state with all four hands, taking his post ceremoniously behind the victor a couple of others dragged the body of Firkhead to the edge of the dais and one of them drew his leaf-shaped short sword and beheaded it at mid-afternoon von schlichten was on the roof of the palace holding the spear of state with Firkhead's head impaled on the point while a terran technician aimed an audiovisual recorder this he said with a geek speaker in his mouth is king Firkhead's spear of state and here upon it is king Firkhead's head Two days ago, Firkhead was at peace with the company, and Firkhead was king in Skilk. 
if he had not dared raise his feeble hand against the might of the Uller company, he would still be alive, and his spear would still be borne behind him. So must all those who rise against the company perish. Cut. The camera stopped. A kraken came forward and took the spear of state with its grisly burden, carrying it to a nearby wall and leaning it up, like a piece of stage property no longer required for this scene, but needed for the next. Von Schlichten took out his geek speaker, wiped and pouched it, and took his cigarette case from his pocket. Well, this is the limit. Paula Quinton, who had come up during the filming of the scene, exploded. I thought you had to kill him yourself in order to encourage your soldiers. I didn't think you wanted to make a movie of it to show your friends. I'm through. You can find yourself a new adjutant. Von Schlichten tapped the cigarette on the gold and platinum case and stared at her through his monocle. You can't resign, he told her. Resignations of officers are not being accepted until the end of hostilities. In any case, I shouldn't care to have you go. You've been the best adjutant. Had Yoshi O'Leary not accepted, I ever had. Sit down, Colonel, he lit the cigarette. Your political-military education still needs a little filling in. At Grank, we have two ships. One is the Northern Lights, sister ship of the Northern Star. The other is the cruiser Procyon, the only real warship on Uller, with a main battery of four 200mm guns. How King Yorkirk was able to get control of those ships, I don't know. But there will be a board of inquiry, and maybe a couple of courts-martial, when things get stabilized to a point where we can afford such luxuries. As it is, we need those ships desperately, and as soon as he gets in, I'm sending Hideyoshi O'Leary to Grank with the Northern Star and a load of Kraken rifles to pry them loose. The audio-visual of which this is the last scene is going to be one of the crowbars he's going to use. Oh, I get it! Her eyes widened with pleasure at having finally caught on. She accepted the cigarette and the light von Schlichten offered. Good old Nervenkreik! Yes, a little idea I adapted from my Nazi ancestors of four hundred and fifty years ago. Hideyoshi's going to treat King Yokirk to a movie show. Wanna bet he won't loosen up and release Procyon and Northern Lights and unblockade the Grank residency after he sees that shot of Firked's head leering at him off the point of that overgrown Asagi? As I said, that's only the last scene, too. I've been having scenes shot all through this fight. Some of them are really horrifying. But why did you have to fight for Ked yourself? she asked. You took an awful chance with two hands to his four. Not so awful. Remember what I told you about the physical limitations of Ulleran's. But I had to kill him myself, with a sword, according to local custom that makes me king of Skilk. Why, your majesty, she rose and curtsied mockingly, but I thought you were going to make Jonkvank king of Skilk. He shook his head. Just viceroy, he corrected. I'm handing the spear of state down to him, not up to him. He'll reign as my vassal, and consequently as vassal of the company, and before long he won't be much more at Grink either. That'll take a little longer. There'll have to be military missions and economic missions and trade agreements and all the rest of it first, but he's on the way to becoming a puppet prince. Half an hour later, a large and excessively ornate air launch, specially built at the Kronkrook shipyards for King Jonkvank, was sighted coming over the mountains from the east. An escort of combat cars was sent to meet it, and a battalion of Kragans and the survivors of Firked's court were drawn up on the palace roof. 
His Majesty Jonkvank, King of Krink, the former herald of King Firkad's court, now herald to King Carlos von Schlichten, shouted, banging on a brass shield with the flat of his sword, as Jonkvank descended from his launch, attended by a group of his nobles and his spear of state, with Hideyoshi O'Leary and Francis N. Shapiro shepherding them. As the guests advanced across the roof, he, the herald banged again on his shield. His Majesty Carlos von Schlichten, which came out more or less as Karlok von Schlichten, king by right of combat of skilk von schlichten advanced to meet his fellow monarch his own spear of state with firkad's head still grinning from it two paces behind him jonkvank stopped his face contorted with saurian rage what is this he demanded you told me that i could be king of skilk is this how a terran keeps his word a terran's word is always good jonkvank von schlichten replied omitting the titles as was proper in one sovereign addressing another my word was that you should reign in skilk and my word stands but these things must be done decently according to custom and law i killed firkad in single combat had i not done so the spear of skilk would have been left lying for any of the young of firkad to pick up is that not the law jonkvank nodded grudgingly it is the law he admitted good now since i killed firkad in lawful manner his spear is mine and what is mine i can give as i please I now give you the spear of Skilk, to carry in my name, as I promised. The Kragen who was carrying the ceremonial weapon tossed the head of Firkad from the point, another Kragen kicked it aside, and advanced to wipe the spear-blade with a rag. Von Schlichten took the spear, and gave it to Jonkvank. "'This is not good,' one of the Skilken nobles protested. He had a better right than any of the others to protest. He had, a few hours before, ridden in at the head of a company of his retainers to swear loyalty to the company that you should rule over us yes you killed firkad in single combat and you are the soldier of the company which is mighty as all here have seen but that this foreigner to give be given the spear of skilk that is not good some of the others emboldened by his example were jabbering agreement listen all of you von schlichten shouted here is no question of krink ruling over skilk does it matter who holds the spear of skilk when he does so in my name and King Jongvank will be no foreigner. He will come and live among you, and later he will travel back and forth between Krink and Skilk, and he will leave the spear of Krink and Krink, and the spear of Skilk and Skilk, and in Skilk he will be Skilkin. That seemed to satisfy everybody except Jongvank, and he had it wit enough not to make an issue of it. He even had the spear of Krink carried back aboard his launch out of sight, and when he accompanied von Schlichten an hour later to see Hideyoshi O'Leary off for Grank, he had the spear of Skilk carried behind him. When he was alone with von Schlichten in the room that had been King Firkad's bedchamber, however, he exploded. What is all this foolishness which you promised these people in my name and which I must now carry out, that I am to leave the spear of Skilk and Skilk and the spear of Krink and Krink and come here to live? You wish to hold Skilk? von Schlichten asked. I intend to hold Skilk. To begin with, there shall be a great killing here, a very great killing, of all those who advised that fool of a Firkad to start this business, of those who gave shelter to the false prophet Rakid when he was here, of the faithless priests who gave ear to his abominable heresies and allowed him to spew out his blasphemies in the temple, of those who sent spies to Krink to corrupt and pervert my soldiers and nobles, of those who— 
all that is as it should be von schlichten agreed except that it must be done quickly and all at once before the memories of these crimes fade from the minds of the people and great care must be taken to kill only those who can be proven to be guilty of something thus it will be said that the justice of king jongbank is terrible to evildoers but a protection and a shield to those who keep the peace and obey the laws thus you will gain the name of being a wise and just king and when the priests are to be killed it should be done under the direction of those other priests who were faithful to the gods and whom king Firkhead drove out of their temples and it must be done in the name of the gods thus will you be esteemed a pious and not impious king as to why you must be a skilkin and skilk you heard the words of flergnerk and how the others agreed with him it must not be allowed to seem that the city has come under the foreign rule and you must not change the laws unless the people petition you to do so nor must you increase the taxes and you must not confiscate the estates of those who are put to death for the death of parents is always forgiven before the loss of patrimonies and you should select certain skilkin nobles and become the father of their young and above all you must leave none of the young of Firket alive to raise rebellion against you later jonkbeck nodded deeply impressed by the gods karlok von Zildink, this is wisdom now it is to be seen why the likes of Firkhead cannot prevail against you, or against the company, as long as you are the company's upper sword arm. Honesty tempted von Schlinkton for a moment to disclaim originality for the principles he had just enunciated, even at the price of trying to pronounce the name of Niccolo Machiavelli with a geek speaker. On second thought, however, considerations of policy restrained him. If Jonkbank ever heard of the prince, nothing would satisfy him short of an Ulleran translation, and von Schlingten would have been just about as happy over an Ulleran translation of a complete set of Bethcycle bomb specifications. End of chapter 11 Recording by Acacia Wood